Hello and welcome back. You're listening to the ACAP Coffee Break with Meg Murray, a podcast from the Association for Community Affiliated Plans. Thanks for listening. Today's episode features Frank Dominguez, president and CEO of El Paso Health. This conversation with Frank is the last of three special episodes of the ACAP Coffee Break. These conversations were recorded during a session for ACAP's Leadership Academy. Frank, Liz Gibney of Partnership Health Plan of California, and Kathy Petway of Priority Partners MCO joined Meg on a panel to discuss their leadership influences, advice, and how they lead in crisis. Here's Meg. So my questions today are really just about your journey. What, what, what brought you to healthcare? Oh, I guess I would start by probably saying I probably have the most interested journey than anyone you will ever meet. So I have to start from the beginning. So I come from very humble beginnings. I actually was born in Mexico, um, 1972, so many years ago. All the way through elementary, high school, I tended to be uh, 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 one of these child. So this story goes also for parents out there that struggle with their kids. Um, when I got to high school, I never carried a book and still passed on my classes. I didn't have a locker in high school. I decided to drop out my senior year of high school because I thought I was the smartest person in the world and I was going to make it on my own. Um, actually, my brother, who's 10 years younger than me, got a college degree before I got a college degree. So um, when I went, went out to the real, I went to retail and I, I worked for Target for many years. And I had a knack for understanding customer service and understanding big picture. So at Target, I went up the ranks pretty fast. And right as I got married, I was offered an opportunity to go into their uh, training program to be a store manager, which is, I was gonna be their youngest store manager in Texas. I was, I was barely 22. And they were, they were already gonna, I didn't have a college degree and they were gonna allow me to go into the program. But my wife didn't wanna move to Midland, Texas cause that's where my training was gonna happen. So uh, someone that had managed me at Target had moved into the healthcare space because they got their degree. And she was working for a small TPA business here in El Paso. And at, called me and said, why don't you come and work for me over here as a customer service agent? I go, I don't know nothing about healthcare. I have no, I haven't used a computer in a long time besides what I use at work. But I did the move and within um, a few months, I hated it. <laughs> I thought it was the worst thing in the world. But as I started to, one of the things I always done throughout my life, I, I approach every job, no matter if it's a white collar, uh, like a blue collar worker. So I try to learn all the departments as fast as I can. I try to, I volunteered in every area. And when I got the opportunity to jump over to Centene, which is um, superior here in Texas, I made that move without understanding what the government programs were, taking a chance uh, on, on government programs. So when I got there, it was very eye-opening to work in a government program, keep, um, HMO. And the same thing, slowly I learned every single department. I knew that I didn't want to work for a for-profit a few years in because I saw kind of what the mission was. So I always knew, throughout my life, I always wanted to do something that was my passion and, and that the job had to fit what I wanted to fit, right, to, to work with me. So when the opportunity that came to El Paso Health came, they were a struggling plan. So I came as a supervisor, and like most of us probably here in the room, 
I had to learn every department and I think I got promoted nine times in nine years until I got the role. Um, and I had the role now for seven years. And I think the biggest lessons learned that I have is that once I went back and got my, 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 my bachelor, my master's is that I always had that talent. Um, and I knew that I could, could learn almost every aspect if I, 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 I put in the work. I think what I've learned is how valuable your, your, your people that support you are into your success. So I think that, that's always going to be key for anyone's success is to surround yourself with talent so you can be um, successful. Um, just talked a little bit more about what are those leadership um, skills that you've seen other people use that have helped you? I think primary for me is always going to be my mother. And even though, you know, in Hispanic culture, it's always the father that is really the face of, of, of who people see. But the reality that in many Hispanics, it's the mom that, that, that shapes a lot of the kids' um, growth and their, their growth in the future. Some of the mistakes I did, I don't blame my mom for it. It was, it was mistakes I did because I took accountability for the decisions I made as a teenager. But my mom's ability to lead a family who had very little and to always feel like we didn't have, we, that we were missing anything made me seem how effective communication can create this atmosphere of happiness and, and an atmosphere of, of wanting to do more. So in healthcare, I try to apply that, and I, wa I watched two people over the years. One of it, um, may you know, Carol, who was a former CEO here, um, and another person was Irene Armendariz, who I met at Centene. What they both showed me is how you have to have passion for what you do, and that it has to be the right fit, and that you don't have to sit with someone to learn. The power of observation and how, how someone manages a board meeting how things are done prior to a board meeting, how people um, use different uh, types of effective communication to get things done, how partnerships are so vital to the success of what we do for our members and our providers in our networks. And so I, I take in those philosophies and apply them to my leadership team. And, and, and it's something that we do every day. It's we build, I hire Almost everyone, not based on background of where they work or what they've done. I look for people that have desire mm -hmm. and people that have, that have an ability to learn and grow. My CEO, when I met her, she was a social worker. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, but I saw potential in her. And yes, it's taking a while to get her what she needs to be. But ultimately, that's, the, that's who we need running our plans. People that, that are going to continuously learn. The learning curve never ends, even for CEOs, and learning from your uh, employees, we call them associates, but employees is a big key to my success. So my mentors have been my employees as well, because I've learned from them of what it takes to run the health plan. One of the things I wanted to know was, uh, talk to me about a challenge that you faced um, and how you used your leadership skills or how your leadership skills were maybe challenged by the challenge. And I'll, I'll just say for myself a little bit that um, in 2017, that was the big year for ACAP when the repeal and replace happened. And um, that was probably the most challenging year for me, although in retrospect, also the most exciting, but um, to be able to really um, fight against that and with 100% um, to me, it was just kind of using all those skills that you had in, for that moment uh, where you have the, you know, the, the existential threat, which is how we saw it. So I'll give you one 
pre-CEO, because when I got here, I got here to be the contract supervisor. And always it's the hospital contracts that are the most challenging. So a similar story. The biggest contract that I had negotiated when I got to Alpaca Health was the revenue was about a million dollars. When I got to Alpaca Health, I got asked to negotiate tenant and ATA contracts, which are corporate contracts, right? That were in a net worth of about $80 million. <laughs> and I had no IT team, I had no analytic team, and my CEO, she wasn't strong in the finance piece. And the plan was running an MLR almost of 138%. I think for me, um, common sense, studying the market, uh, remaining calm during the negotiations with two major pairs at the same time, our, they were controlling 78% of our hospitalizations. Um, and being able to negotiate those two contracts really made my mark. And that's why that's what generated my path to all these promotions. But with all those promotions, what happened to me, I got to only spend like a, a year in each of these roles. And when I got to senior director of operations and then spent a year there, and then I got to VP of operations and spent 11 months there, and then Carol decided, the former CEO decided to leave. The board had more trust in me than I had in myself. <laughs> they made me interim for two months and then they gave me the role. So I had to learn to be a CEO without ever attending an executive plan um, consortium. I never had attended a board meeting in Austin. I, had, I hadn't been part of any of those things because I was more operations than anything else. I think what I always tell people is that all those challenges that we face and then when we face challenges of meeting budgets, what it's, it's, it's always go back to common sense because many of these issues can be re resolved based on the experience you had. And if you really understand all your departments and how they work, you can really find solutions to the problems you have because in, a, in many of those things, a lot of times our, 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 our employees tend to, to have this narrow view of stuff and if you help them open their eyes a little bit, for the bigger picture, um, you can overcome that those things. So I think for me, it's it's been uh, the the journey to become a CEO because Carol left the company and she didn't get to spend time with me because she had other commitments in her personal life. So she went back to Phoenix. So I was kind of alone <laughs> in the health plan with no experience under me. So that that was the challenge for me. Okay. We had a, a question, a couple questions in the chat, and one from Eric. He asks, um, and I'll just throw this out generally, is can you talk about your upward movement challenges from being a director to becoming a C-suite executive and what were some of the biggest learning curves that you experienced when you made that jump from director level to C-suite? I, I think for me, um, the, the biggest hurdle was replacing Carol, who was very, she was a very popular CEO <laughs> and, and, and very different styles of running the organization. And, and me coming from a for-profit company, a lot of people still didn't believe that I had the same passion for the nonprofit. And because I bypassed everyone that was remaining that didn't get promoted to the CEO job, that kind of served as a challenge for me to, to get those people to believe that, that, that I was with them in, in, in the journey and the mission of the company. So one of the first things that I did when I took over we all sat down and we looked at our mission and vision. So we could all agree and all have input 
and what the next chapter of the company would be. And when we agreed on that mission and vision, the first thing we set out to be is to be market leaders in the, in, in the, in the company. And within a year and a half, we, be, we took over the market share lead. We passed my former company by 26% in a year and a half of market share without expanding into a different business line. Our MLR dropped to the 85, which was our goal. We didn't ever want to be below that. And we set up an expectation that we would never hit, we would never hinder outcomes and, and quality of care for our members in order to meet our, our financial performance. Once we made that agreement, it helped us push that mission and vision. And today we maintain that market share lead. Actually, every year we've increased it little by little by little. So I think that, that that's an example of how you can bring a team together. You do have to have a passion for the organization. And, and you have to feel that passion back. So I think if someone asks, do I belong here? I think you do have to do some self-reflection if you truly belong in the organization that you're working for today. Because I have always supported people that have gone and ventured into the for-profit world. And if, if that was a better role for them, great, because that is, is, is what makes them feel comfortable. Uh, some people have come back to, to the nonprofit world and because they felt that they didn't belong in that other world. And that's, that's also okay. Um, when I made the change, I knew that I had a passion for this community because I'm a, an El Paso and through and through. Um, and when I, I wanted to do well because I felt I was representing El Paso and I was representing people that, that were in the Medicaid space, even in my family. So you have to have that passion for the company that you work for. Um, somebody, um, so Isabel just asked a question about best practices for balancing work and life, um, especially as your work, as you know, as you, as you go up the ranks, your work increases. How do, how do you, how did you handle that? And for me, I think I'll give you the bad example and, and probably one of my regrets over this journey. I became CEO at the age of 40. So kind of young to, to take over a plan. I, I think in a 10 year span, I must have been taking no more than five to six days off a year. And it caused me to miss many of the, of the things I could have done with my two kids. Now that my kids are, one's barely starting college and the other one's in high school. Um, the last three years I have really reflected on taking vacation with my family, uh, making sure I spend a lot of time with my family. I think in 20 years, I've never had a sick day <laughs> to taken. Um, and, and, and I think that goes back to my upbringing because I, I grew up, again, my grandfather ran a ranch and we would wake up at five in the morning and we had to help in the ranch. So I, I always get to work at seven and people still ask me, why are you at seven if you're the CEO? Because I, I'm just used to it. But now what I've learned to do is if my kids have an event, something at school, my, my, my daughter's going to present on a science project or my son's going to do a running an event or whatever they're going to do, I show up now and, and, and I force myself out the door now um, because I think you do need to self-care. Um, these jobs will drain you. And, and ultimately, if you're not in the right headspace because you're, you are thinking of, of what you're not doing for your family, then you bring that to the office and you need to separate that and you need to give yourself time to, to self-reflect. If we open our eyes and adjust the work schedules and how things can get to be done by home or, or in the office and we don't have to be 
in the physical office. I would challenge that today. I We have a process right now where I just met with everybody in my management team and telling them that someone that does their work in six hours and does it effectively is as good as someone that takes 20 hours to do the job. We're not asking you to be workaholics. Well, what I'm asking people today now to be is innovative, open-minded, and don't and, and, and use people's talents to get jobs done. Start using your workforce to be successful. So I think we do have to change that mindset that we have to work 18 hour days to be successful. We're in a new generation, us that are old school, that, that are, are the nine to five people. We need to adjust to the new generation. And if they're talented enough to do the, the job in six hours, why don't you reward them for those two hours? Or why don't you give them the, the four day schedule? So we as leaders have to adapt so we can get that mindset off. Because I think some of the bigger companies do offer those things where they let people be creative and be able to meet their jobs and have a lot of downtime. We have to be the same way. There's no need for us to work 16 hour days. It wouldn't have to. Um, Tony had a good question about, um, talk about the aspects of the job that you missed from when you were, before you were in the C-suite. Um, I know for myself, I was a policy analyst and sometimes I love to get my fingers back into some issue um, and be the lead on it. And I always tell my staff, I still got it, I still got it. And that feels so good. Um, how do you handle that? And what is it that you miss from before you were kind of in the executive level? As, as for me, you know, I miss running the plan day to day and getting, being in all these meetings. I think my other chiefs have politely removed me from all those meetings because I do was getting involved. I get involved in almost in the little, little bitty problems. So they, they actually have asked me to let them run the plan. And when there's problems, they, they'll, they'll come looking for me. But it does get lonely because I'm a people person. So what I do now to fulfill some of that, we do have about 50% of the staff back because we were fortunate to get vaccinated because we're part of a hospital district, is that every morning I walk around and just go talk to people and see how they're doing and ask them about their families and ask them on, about their job and if I meet someone new, uh, where they came from. Um, but it gives me a, uh, it gives me a chance to still feel part of the everyday work that they do to, and, and, and just really how much it matters for us. Because I think for me, that that's a big of, of what drives me to be successful is, is making sure I can still have a touch point with all the employees in the, in the plant. Thanks for listening. Don't miss an episode. You can find and subscribe to the ACAP Coffee Break wherever you get your podcasts. And when you do, give us a shout on Twitter using the hashtag ACAP Coffee Break. We'll put you in a drawing for a Starbucks gift card. So the next time you tune in, your coffee's on us. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.